and Ruach Yahweh, which means the Spirit of Yahweh. And the New Testament is written in Greek, and the same word is translated pneuma. And Ruach and pneuma roughly means the same thing. It means spirit, breath, or wind. And there's over 385 references to pneuma just in the New Testament. We won't go through each one of them today, but ruach and pneuma can also refer to the spirit of a human being. We see that in Mark 5 and Mark uh, 5, 8 and in Luke 1. We also see in Matthew 8, 16 that pneuma is used when referring to an evil spirit. When Jesus exercises a, a, a demon, it's also called pneuma, but in this case, an evil spirit. So there's a, there's a whole study area that is called pneumatology, and that is the study of the work and the person of the Holy Spirit. And you can study that as a part of systematic theology, and I'll probably take you about six months to finish the course. So today we don't have six months, and we're going to try and do it in six hours. <laughs> no, it'll only take three hours. But we know the truth of Scripture is plain, and it has a simplicity for the reader to understand. And this is what we're going to attempt to do this morning. We're firstly going to look at a foundationally correct answer to the question, who is the Holy Spirit? That is going to be our focus this morning. And then next week, we will look at what does the Holy Spirit do? So who is the Holy Spirit? Why do we start with this question? So from all the overwhelming of everything that Scripture says about the Holy Spirit, I think the most fundamental part is to start at the beginning. So let's start with who is the Holy Spirit? And this is not without reason, because in the last 120 years or so, there has been a renewed focus on the Holy Spirit in the church. But unfortunately, this focus is not always on the role and the work of the Holy Spirit in creation, or the Holy Spirit in redemption, or bringing order out of chaos. Too often, unfortunately, this renewed focus has been on how the Spirit of God, or a universal force, or the divine Mother Nature can bring blessing into the life of the believer. So how can it work for me? And when we have this kind of focus, it leads to statements like this, and I quote, I view the Holy Spirit like a blue genie from Aladdin. He's funny, he's sneaky, he's wonderful, and he's blue. It's worth a laugh. But this comes from a worship leader in a church with over 11,000 members. The wrong focus on the Holy Spirit leads to things like all true Christians get a second blessing. And that second blessing is manifested by the speaking in tongues. 
Prayer and fasting is a tool provided to us to unlock the unconditional blessing of the Holy Spirit in our lives. This wrong focus leads to thinking like financial blessing and physical well-being is always the will of God for His people. And that faith and positive speech will unlock this financial blessing and physical well-being. So it's kind of simplifying it to being a recipe. If you do this, God will do that. Salvation won by Jesus on the cross includes victory over sickness and poor health. This is another wrong focus. Health, wealth, and prosperity are for those with enough faith. If you are sick, if you are not prosperous, it's because you do not have enough faith. So these are all distortions. Please don't get me wrong. These quotes that I've just read, these five quotes, are incorrect understandings of the Holy Spirit. And they don't just appear far away in the churches of America. No, they are here in the churches of Hobart amongst our brothers and sisters. And I do not say that to condemn anybody because remember, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. Salvation is through faith in Christ alone. But John 4.23 calls us to worship God in spirit and in truth. So truth matters. So where do we begin to answer this question, who is the Holy Spirit? And I'll make this a question for the floor. So what is the golden rule of Bible study? If you don't know the answer, the answer is? Yes, that's right, Jesus. The, the answer is always Jesus. So let's start with Jesus. Please look at me with our text, the first one we read this morning from Isaiah. Isaiah 11, the first two verses. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his root, a branch will bear fruit. This branch is Jesus. And the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. So what we read here is Isaiah prophesying what the full application of the Holy Spirit was in the life of Jesus. Isaiah prophesied that all that Jesus accomplished was applied to him by the Holy Spirit. This passage gives us insight and shares with us seven different applications of the Holy Spirit in the life of Jesus. We see that all in verse 2. The first is the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of wisdom, third of understanding, fourth of counsel, fifth of might, of knowledge and of fear of the Lord. Seven different applications 
of the Holy Spirit in the life of Jesus. So if Jesus needed the Holy Spirit and He was the sinless Son of God, how much more do we need the correct application and the correct understanding of the Holy Spirit in our lives? And this is what we'll focus on today is the first application there, the Spirit of the Lord. And when you just look at those five words, the Spirit of the Lord, the question came up for me, is it correct to say that the Spirit of the Lord is the Lord? So, in other words, is it correct to say that the Holy Spirit is God? This is our first question. Jesus says, in John 16, verse 7, he talks about the Holy Spirit. He says, unless I go, the Advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will prove the world to be wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. So when Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit, he addresses him as he. That's an important aspect to notice. Greek is a gender-neutral language. So Jesus breaks the language rules. We don't really notice that in English, but in the Greek that it is written, it's gender-neutral. So Jesus breaks the rules by specifically addressing the Holy Spirit as a he. He also gives the Holy Spirit a title. He calls him the Advocate. So generally, you do not address somebody as a he or give him a title if it's not a person. So this is the first thing that we need to understand this morning, is that the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is unique. He's a person. But the question remains, is it correct for us to say that this person of the Holy Spirit is God? Well, in the other two texts that we read this morning, from Jeremiah 31 and Hebrews, I don't know if you noticed very similar wording. In fact, exactly the same wording. So in Jeremiah 31, it's clear that the Lord in capitals is speaking. In other words, Yahweh, God the Father, is speaking. And he says, this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. And then when we page to the New Testament in Hebrews, the author very clearly makes the speaker the Holy Spirit. Verse 15 of Hebrews 10 says, The Holy Spirit testifies. The Holy Spirit says, this is the covenant I make with them. After that time, I will put my laws in their hearts and I'll write it on their minds. So the same words are being put in the mouth of God the Father and of the Holy Spirit. Then, in Acts 5, the Holy Spirit is directly called God by Peter. We read in Acts 5, in verse, from verse 3, about Ananias and Zephyrah. 
And remember the two of them conspired together to not declare all of the, the money they got from the sale of their land. And Peter addresses them and says, why has Satan led you to lie to the Holy Spirit? And then when everything was done, he concludes by saying, you have lied to God. So Peter directly says, you've lied to the Holy Spirit, you've lied to God. So the short, correct answer is yes. This person, this unique person that is the Holy Spirit, is God. He stands beside the Father and beside the Son and is equally worthy of worship. Did you get that? The Holy Spirit is a person. He is unique. He is God. He stands beside God the Father and besides God the Son and is equally worthy of worship. Jesus says in Matthew 28, verse 19, Therefore I go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Not one name, but three names. But we have this conundrum that we don't have three gods, we have one. But we'll get to that in a moment. So our first building block in understanding or answering this question, who is the Holy Spirit, is the Holy Spirit is a person. He's unique. He is God. There's only one Holy Spirit. In the same way, there's only one Father, only one Yahweh. There's only one Jesus, only one Yeshua. And this is the first building block we need to understand. So we are saying the Holy Spirit is God, but He is not the Father. We are saying the Holy Spirit is God, but He is not the Son. So our second building block is understanding this relationship between the three persons of the Godhead. This relationship is called the Holy Trinity. It's called holy because it's unique. It is set aside. There is nothing else like it. And the Trinity because there is three that operate as one. Now in the corner post... There's a little picture provided, and I want to draw your attention to that right now and ask you to get that in front of you. It's on the third page, and if you have, get a pen with you to make some notes, because this represents the relationship of the three persons within the Godhead, in other words, the Trinity. And the general distinction between the persons of the Godhead is best described during the work of creation and the work in redemption. And if we think about that, the work of creation starts at the beginning of time. Then we have the fall, and from the fall to the end of time is redemption. So when we look at the work of the Holy Spirit during creation and during redemption, really, we're looking at all of time. It covers all of time. And we have these singular events, the fall and Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. 
So we, we describe the work of the three persons in terms of those two events, creation and redemption. And when we look at God the Father, so that's the circle to the left there of the triangle, God the Father, He is the person in the Godhead that plans. He plans creation. He plans redemption. He plans salvation for all of creation. All the way through to the end of time. That is God the Father planning. But what we need to understand about God's plans is that His plans is not like our plans. I had a plan to remember to take Newt off this morning. But it didn't work out. Because I forgot I'm human. God's plans are different. God's plans are absolute plans. Don't make the mistake to think God is like us. And I'll just veer off here for a second. We do that with free will. We think that our free will is the same as God's will. It's not. God's will is absolute. Our will is what we call free will. When we get back to God's plans, God's plan is a certainty. When God plans something, it happens. So another way to say that God plans is to say that God decrees. Or God's will is His plan. Because whatever He plans, happens. So when we say God decrees, there's, there's a certainty to it, isn't there? So God the Father is the one that plans. So that circle just to the left of it, right, plans, planner. So the Father ordained, in other words, He planned the way for salvation. He planned and decreed the way of salvation. That this infinite price for our sin was to be paid by the life of His Son, whose life has an infinite value. God the Father is the one who writes the names in the book of life. God the Father is the one who planned the exact date of Jesus' second coming. The date and the time. This is God the Father. Then we move to the second person of the Godhead, the Son, Jesus. Jesus role in the three persons of the Godhead is he accomplishes, he achieves, or he carries out. So Jesus achieves or carries out all that God the Father has planned, all that God the Father has decreed, Jesus carries out. John 1.3 says, through him, Jesus, all things were made and nothing has been made without him. Jesus carries out creation. Jesus accomplishes salvation. And He sets our world on a path as planned, as decreed by God the Father to His second coming and the judgment. So by laying down His life and being obedient to the will of the Father, in other words, being obedient to the decrees of the Father, being obedient to the plans of the Father, Jesus accomplishes salvation. 
He achieves salvation. He carries out salvation. And he pays the infinite price for those that God the Father has given him. John 6, 37. So next to the Son, Jesus, right, achieves, carries out, accomplishes. Then we get to the third person, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's role is to apply or to administer. So the Holy Spirit applies to our lives everything that is required for our life with God. He equips us to serve God and to bear fruit, the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians 5. He applies everything that God the Father has planned and that Jesus has accomplished. The Holy Spirit makes it real in this physical world. The Holy Spirit applies the blessings of belonging to the kingdom of Jesus. When Jesus came into the world, in Mark 1, in Matthew 3, and Matthew 4, He declared, Repent, because the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of Jesus arrived. It is here. And the Holy Spirit applies the benefits of belonging to that kingdom to us here and now. The Holy Spirit is a person, like we've said, but the Holy Spirit is also personal. The Holy Spirit does not apply on a corporate level. The Holy Spirit applies personally. And we cannot underestimate this. The very personal application of the Holy Spirit of what Jesus has accomplished in our lives. So next to the Holy Spirit, circle there, right, applies or administers. And these three different ideas help us to understand how the Godhead works together in perfect unity. So as an example, we can say God the Father, how does the Holy Spirit apply? The Holy Spirit is God the Father's authoritative word in this world. The Holy Spirit is His abiding presence. The Holy Spirit is His sovereign control over creation. We can also say the Holy Spirit applies or administers Jesus' office as prophet, priest, and king. Very much to us, personally. Jesus is king of this new kingdom that he has ushered in. But how would we know about it if it's not applied to us? How would we know if the truth about who Jesus is and what he has accomplished is not applied to us? In the second verse of the Bible, we're introduced to the Spirit of God, Ruach HaKodesh. And we see this first application of God's decree or His plan. Genesis 1-2 says, Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So the Spirit of, of God was already here. 
And then when we get to Genesis 2 verse 7, the Lord formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils. And we have the whole account of creation where God spoke and it happened. The Spirit brought light out of darkness. It brought order out of chaos. This is the work of God's Spirit. But when it gets to the man, we see that it's quite a different approach, a more intimate approach, a more personal approach. God the Father did not just speak. He formed man from the dust of the ground. And he stooped down and he breathed the breath of life into his nostrils. So the Holy Spirit brings light, it brings order, it brings life. And this is exactly how we get to faith, or how we come to faith, because the Holy Spirit brings the light of the truth of God's Word. It brings the order into the chaos of your life, and He brings life to an otherwise spiritually dead person. Paul confirms this in 1 Corinthians 14. He says, God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. And this same order and peace in his, is in all the congregations of, Lord, of the Lord's people. So it's correct in a way for us to say that biologically, every human being, every living thing that has breath on this planet owes its breath to the Holy Spirit. This is clearly what the Bible teaches in a biological sense. But we know that the Bible also reveals to us that the Holy Spirit does not give spiritual life to everybody. Spiritual life is dependent on what Jesus has achieved and believing that truth. So the first building block was understanding that the Holy Spirit is unique, the Holy Spirit is a person, the Holy Spirit is God. The second building block was understanding the work of the Holy Spirit in the Trinity. The Holy Spirit applies. The Holy Spirit applies to you and to me the truth of what God has planned and what Jesus has achieved. Now there's one building block left. Have you ever wondered how Jesus was resurrected? We know that Jesus in himself, in his own obedience, went to the cross, obedient to the will of God the Father. We know that Jesus was not spiritually dead, because that night he was in paradise. It's not something I have given much thought to. How was the body of Jesus resurrected? Was it God the Father? Was it Jesus himself or the Holy Spirit? Well, what I said earlier about the Holy Spirit bringing life kind of gives it away. But Romans 8.11 answers this question directly. It says, If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal body because of His Spirit that lives in you. So in fact, it was the Holy Spirit 
that brought the body of Jesus back to life. The Holy Spirit is the author of life. The Holy Spirit is the life giver. And we see that consistently through Scripture. And so in the New Testament, that act kind of ushers in this third building block of the Holy Spirit, of who He is. And that is understanding that the Holy Spirit always reveals Christ. And not any Christ, not any version of Christ, but the risen Christ. The Holy Spirit is Christ-centered, never self-centered. When you feel yourself contemplating on the work of the Holy Spirit and the blessings it brings to your life and what you can get from it, you are self-centered. The Holy Spirit always puts the spotlight on what Jesus has achieved. And Jesus' accomplishments always puts the spotlight on what God the Father has planned. So the application of the Holy Spirit, this third building block, that the Holy Spirit is Christ revealing, is that the truth that when you get to that point that you unconditionally believe the truth about what Jesus has accomplished, that is the seal of the Holy Spirit. That is the Holy Spirit applying God's truth to your life. In Luke 24, verse 49, Jesus says, I'm going to send you what my Father has promised. That is the Holy Spirit. He says, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And this was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So in closing, our six-hour talk this morning covered three basic building blocks to foundationally and correctly answer the question, who is the Holy Spirit? We said, firstly, the Holy Spirit is not the blue genie from Aladdin. And if you think about it, it's, it's a very deceitful analogy because that genie from Aladdin was very powerful. He could grant any wish but the lie is that he works at our direction. That is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not on earth to bring health and prosperity to those who have enough faith. The Holy Spirit does not bring a special blessing to special Christians. That is not what Scripture teaches. No, we have seen the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead. He's unique. The Holy Spirit applies everything that Jesus has achieved because of everything God the Father has planned. And we are caught up in this perfectly united work of the Godhead. We are the gift of God the Father to the Son, made possible through the Holy Spirit. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. 
We are the gift to Him. Planned by God the Father and made real by the Holy Spirit, applied by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is Christ-centered. The Holy Spirit reveals Christ in your heart. The Holy Spirit brings spiritual life, not necessarily physical life. He can bring physical life. Miracles are still possible. We are not saying miracles are impossible because God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, they are still almighty. But this is the truth of what God reveals and how we are to worship Him in truth. The sign of the Holy Spirit in your life is your faith in Christ. And if you are here this morning and you are still being urged by the Holy Spirit, being prompted about this truth, being unsettled about this truth, do not deny the prompts of the Holy Spirit. Because He is prompting you to reveal the truth and to accept the truth of who Jesus is and what He has done. So I pray that this morning, this third person of the Godhead will continue to reveal and to apply God's grace and His mercy to your life. And that we are not missing any blessing. We are not short of any worship when we are worshipping in truth and in spirit, which is the third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Our almighty God and heavenly Father, Lord, we thank and praise you for your word that is God-breathed. In other words, your spirit. We know that the Holy Spirit is the author of scripture and reveals this truth to us. So, Lord, today we... Bring thanks to you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. And we come as your people before you in the name of our King and our Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you, musicians. We'll sing another worship song. And next week we'll be looking at the question, what does the Holy Spirit do now that we understand who he is? Thank you. Please stand.